0: I want to talk about how bad at poker I am and review a recent session I played on Life at the Bike. But before I get into that, a few words about the immediate future of the show. So, I'm planning to start doing two episodes a month starting this month. One of them will just be the usual third man walking episode on the first Tuesday of every month with a balance of written material and session reviews. But then on the third Tuesday of every month, I'm planning on doing another episode that will be just a session review, so maybe a little bit shorter, but basically doubling the number of episodes, so uh, hopefully you'll look out for that. The first of these shorter session review-only podcasts will be in two weeks. Under any circumstances, poker is a humbling game. You do the best you can with incomplete information, and no matter how precise you're thinking, sometimes you can't figure it out and you lose. But playing on stream, where you can watch back later and see all of your opponent's whole cards, is especially humbling. What it's shown me after watching hours of footage of myself on Live at the Bike, and I already kind of knew this, but it's still tough to watch hours and hours of confirmation, is that I'm not some preternaturally gifted reader of hands, and certainly not of people. I have only the faintest idea what's actually going on most of the time at the poker table. I fumble through hands and then people in the chat tell me how bad I am. And for the most part, they're right. I rely heavily on what my own strategy is. Making sure what I do with my own cards makes it difficult for my opponents to respond profitably. And I only have guesses about my opponent's cards and what I should do in response to their moves. I fold winning hands. I pay off with losing hands all the time. Here's an example from a recent stream. The game is 5-5-50 with a $50 under the gun straddle, which is me in this hand. The cutoff raises to $250, the button calls, and I have eight six of diamonds and am playing about 7,000 total, and I call for 200 more. So there's about $800 in the pot and the flop comes ace, ace, nine with two diamonds. I check and the cutoff bets $300, the button folds. So, I have a flush draw, but the board is paired, and I'm already drawing close to dead against hands like pocket 9s and Ace-9. But my opponent's bet is small, and he's a very loose recreational player. It seems too conservative to make a very tight fold here, especially on stream, where I do think there's some value in not seeming like a total nit, so I call. The turn is in offsuit 5, and again I've got 8 6 of diamonds on a board of Ace-Ace-9-5 with 2 diamonds. I check, and so does my opponent. So there's about 1400 in the pot heading to the river, which is the four of diamonds. So it's ace, ace, nine, five, four, and now there are three diamonds on board. So I have a flush with my eight, six of diamonds, I bet $900. Now though, my opponent raises to 2,500, I'm thinking for a second. And he starts talking saying that he'd only raise here with a full house or King high flush. I suspect he might be telling the truth, but I really have no idea. It's at least possible that he might be overplaying trip aces after checking back the turn. I also know I'm getting a very good price, 1600 to win 6400 and so I don't need to win often to call profitably. And, of course, even in a game of imperfect information, I do have something else I know for sure, which is the strength of my own hand. I have a flush, which is good, even on a paired board. So I say something like, I kind of believe you, but I'm just too strong, and I call. He shows king 5 of diamonds for the better flush and wins the pot. So, would a more astute hand reader who knows what I know about my opponent have played this river differently? Maybe they would have figured out that my opponent was telling the truth. Or maybe they would have discounted the possibility of my opponent overplaying trip aces after his speech about king high flushes and full houses, which suggested that he had a better sense of the relative strength of hands than I'd previously thought. I don't know. I don't think I played the hand badly, but I do think it shows how I'm just guessing when I actually am confronted with a difficult spot. The bigger games I play, the more clueless I feel. In 5-5, and even sometimes in five-ten, there are opponents who are so transparent, especially in certain situations, that it's easy to avoid mistakes against them. As I've begun playing against tougher competition, and Even the spewier opponents in big games are mostly tougher and more thoughtful than the recreational players at lower stakes. I feel lost more and more often. And every night I play on Live at the Bike, I come home and watch myself back, and even on the nights where I feel like I basically played well, I'm just a potential victim in a horror movie, running my hand along a wall in a darkened room trying to find a light. And yet, as I've moved up and faced more uncertainty, I haven't made less money than I did before. In fact, I've made more. And yeah, I'm playing bigger games, and yeah, they're good big games. But the main reason why it's working comes down to a couple simple principles. First, play good hands, especially in early position. That one's pretty obvious. Second, play big pots with big hands, and small pots with small hands. I'm going to call this the big hand, big pot rule. This is a concept I think I learned over a decade ago when I was still a tournament player from Colin Moshman's book, Heads Up, No Limit Hold'em. The idea as i remember it was basically that when you don't know what's going on ask yourself what size pot you want to play with your hand and then play that size pot that's not always easy to do because the turn and river can completely change what size pot you want to play and because both you and your opponent are supposed to be bluffing at least some of the time also there are times when you have to bet small or check with a strong hand for example because the cards you hold make it very unlikely your opponent has much Or because you have other reasons to believe your opponent is unlikely to call a bigger bet. So actually applying this rule is pretty complicated. But the rule itself is simple. Big hand, big pot. Weaker hand, small pot. And if your opponents aren't following this principle, you can almost have no idea what they're up to and make money anyway, because they're slow playing in spots they shouldn't and not forcing you to play big pots when they're strong. And when you're strong, you're putting in lots of money and they're calling you too light because they're willing to play big pots with weaker hands. Today, I want to talk about the biggest game I've ever played. This opportunity came up a couple weeks ago. Um, I was told there was a seat available in a 25 50 game on Live at the Bike with a $50 Big Blind Ante. Often these games play with straddles, so I figured I would probably be playing 25, 25, 50, 50, 100 for much of the stream. So I brought $40,000 to the casino and and took my seat. Um, One other difference between this game and games I usually play besides the stakes is that there are time chips. So you get 30 seconds to make every decision, and after 30 seconds you have to give up a time chip. You get five time chips for the entire session. Each of them represents a minute, so it keeps the game moving, discourages tanking. Which, if you listen to the last episode of Third Man Walking, you know that I am very much in favor of. But it's only my second time playing with time chips. Uh, I played with them in a tournament once, but that was only briefly, so don't have a lot of experience dealing with them. So uh, as I talk about the hands I played in this session. I'll refer to the timestamps of the stream. I don't know if the stream will still be available on YouTube by the time this is published. Uh, It's the game that was broadcast September 3rd. If it's not, and you're a subscriber to Live at the Bike, you can watch it behind the paywall. Um, But either way, I'm gonna talk through the hands and uh, leave the timestamps here. So first big pot is about 42 minutes into the stream, and it's a $300 bomb pot and I have ace, six, offsuit in the low jack. So there's seven players, so $2,100 in the pot heading to the flop, and it comes ace, six, four. Checks to me with my top two pair. I bet $800 and both the hijack and the big blind call. So now there's $4,500 in the pot, and the turn is a four. The big blind checks, and I'm not sure what's best against two opponents. When I have the ace and the six, I'm somewhat blocking my opponents having those cards so it's possible that they each could have an ace it's possible that one of them could have an ace and the other one could have a straight draw it's possible that one of them could have a six but another possibility is that one of them has a four so I'm not sure what's best to do here but I think checking is okay as long as I get a bet in on a reasonable river so I do check and the hijack also checks so now there's $4,500 in the pot heading to the river and it's an offsuit deuce so now ace six four four deuce the big blind checks again and now i should definitely be betting i should be good here unless someone here has five three for a straight so i bet 1800 and i think i could go a little bit bigger i think if somebody has ace queen say they're probably not going to fold to a somewhat bigger sizing but i do bet 1800 the hijack calls with ace king of diamonds and the big blind has ace, seven of hearts, and folds. So I do win a pretty good-sized bomb pot there. The next big hand is an hour and eight minutes in. Here is just a regular pot, and we're playing 25, 25, 50, 50. Under the gun limps, I have king, nine of hearts, in the cutoff and raise to 250. The button calls, and the limper calls as well. So there's 900 in the pot heading to the flop, which comes ace, seven, six, the seven and six of hearts so i have the king high flush draw with my king nine of hearts checks to me i bet 375 and both players call now there's a little over 2000 in the pot and the turn comes the five of hearts so now i have a king high flush with king nine of hearts on ace seven six five with the seven six and five of hearts it checks to me i bet eleven hundred dollars the button is quite short And jams for 1475 total the limper now cold calls and as she does I sense a bit of hesitation in her face and in her movements that is not obvious now that I go back and watch the footage but I definitely saw it at the time and I don't have the option to raise because uh, the the button is is so short it doesn't reopen the action so I call so another 6450 in the pot and The river is the eight of hearts. So now I have a straight flush, nine through five of hearts on a board of ace, seven, six, five, eight, with the eight through five of hearts. The limper checks, and I have a decision about what size to use. And I'm thinking about several things here. One is that generally, it doesn't make a ton of sense to bet big into a dry side pot, because it's very hard for me to be bluffing here since the third player is already all-in I'm gonna to have to show this hand down and when even if my other opponent folds so it doesn't really make sense to bluff and because of that I should mostly be betting pretty small also because I saw that hesitation in her uh, face and in her movements on the turn that makes me think that she doesn't have the ace of hearts which I would think would be a pretty straightforward call on the turn so I'm thinking I want to use a sizing that targets a hand like ace jack with the jack of hearts or ace 10 with the 10 of hearts so I bet 1800 and by the way I did bet 1800 here not 1500 the graphic is incorrect but there's also another stupider reason why I bet this small which is that I've never played with time chips before and as I'm I'm thinking I'm aware of my time dwindling down and I remember my brain still sort of being foggy as I put out the eighteen hundred dollars. And I, I don't end up using any of my time chips for the entire session. And I really wish I had used one there to think a little bit more about what sizing to choose. Because I think there are good reasons to bet bigger as well. Specifically, although I don't think it's likely given my read that she has the Ace of Hearts, it might still just be the most profitable move to hope that she does anyway and bet big and try to get the Ace of Hearts to call. So if I were to bet 4500 or 5000 here, I think probably the Ace of Hearts is going to call me. And maybe that's just the most profitable play overall. I'm not sure if that's the conclusion I would reach if I took an extra minute, but I do know I would have thought about it more, and I wish I had. Because she just calls, and then I can see on the stream that she has Ace-9 with the Ace of Hearts. The third player in the hand had uh, King-8 of spades and just had a busted straight draw. So I take down a pot of about $10,000, but I think it's a pot that maybe could have been bigger. I don't think what I did was necessarily bad, but I do know that my process for getting to that decision was not very good. And uh, yeah, wish I had more experience with the time chips. The uh, very next pot is a bond pot, and there are six players involved. I have king four offsuit in the cutoff. So there's $1,800 in the pot and the flop comes king, queen, four with the king and four of hearts. It checks to me. I bet 700 in the cutoff and the button raises to $2,500. It folds back to me. Um, And unlike my main villain in the last hand, I know this player a bit and he'll often raise a bit too thinly in spots like this. Uh, But even if that weren't true, my hand is really strong, top and bottom pair and should be a call so i do call and so there's about 6800 in the pot heading to the turn which is the 10 of hearts not the card i want to see so it's king queen 4 10 now with three hearts and again i have king for offsuit so i check and my opponent checks back and as he does he does not appear to be in love with the situation either so still 6800 in the pot heading to the river which is an offsuit deuce and so now this is an interesting spot I think my opponent could have King-Queen or King-10 here, but when he checks the turn, those are probably the only hands he has that beat mine. I'm not positive about that, but that's what I think is true. But if he can't beat King-4, which is what I have, his hand isn't very strong, and if I'm lucky, he has Queen-4. So I think I want to bet here, partially for value and partially to block, and I'll fold if he raises. So I bet $1,800, which is the same size I chose with a straight flush and a similar size pot in the previous hand. And he folds. And on the stream, it turns out that he folds king seven of diamonds for just top pair. So two hours and 44 minutes in, we're playing another bomb pot. And this time I have ace seven with the seven of diamonds in the hijack. So six of us, 1800 in the pot, and the flop comes ace, three deuce, with three induce of diamonds. And it checks all the way around. So still 1800 in the pot heading to the turn, which is an interesting card. It's the ace of diamonds. So now I have trips plus a seven high flush draw that I don't expect to mean much on a board of ace, three, deuce, ace. It checks to me. I bet $800. It folds to Andy Sy, the famous Live at the Bike player. In the second blind and he raises to 2200 now the third blind cold calls and it's back to me so this is a weird spot Andy's raise seems fishy to me I think he might either just bet the flop or the turn with a strong ace set or flush draw so I'm not sure what he represents when he raises the turn the cold caller could certainly have to here and if she does her kicker is probably better than mine but I'm getting an incredible price. I have a strong hand with trips. And even if I'm already behind, I can hit a seven, a three, or a deuce on the river. So I call. So there's 9,000 in the pot now heading to the river, which is the 10 of diamonds. So now there's a fourth diamond. And so now I have a flush that I don't think is very good. And it checks through. And Andy shows queen eight with the queen of diamonds to win the pot. And the cold caller had ace seven without a diamond. So lose a pretty big one there, which is unfortunate, but I'm still up several thousand dollars. And not much happens here. For about an hour, I don't run great. And by this point, we're playing entirely with the straddle on, so that's pretty costly. But about an hour later, 345 on the stream, um, we're now playing four blinds, 25, 25, 50, 100 with a $50 ante, and I'm in the third blind with pocket threes. The small blind completes, big blind raises to $400. I call, the last blind folds, and the first blind calls. So now we're going three ways to the flop, with 1350 dollars in the pot, and the flop comes seven, five, three with all hearts, giving me bottom set on a monotone board. I'm last to act, it checks to me, I bet $600. The first blind calls, and the preflop raiser folds what turns out to have been king, queen of diamonds. So now there's 2150 in the pot, and the turn is an offsuit eight. My opponent checks. I bet $1,500, and she folds what turns out to be 7-4 offsuit. About an hour later, we're playing another bomb pot. This is four hours and 41 minutes into the stream. There's eight players, and I have king four offsuit again, and now I'm in the small blind. So there's 2400 in the pot, heading to the flop, which comes king, 10, deuce, with the king and 10 of clubs. I have top pair, but my hand's not that strong, and it's hard to play bomb pots out of position, so I check. The player in the under the gun spot bets 400. Next to act calls, the button calls, and it's back on me. So my hand's not especially good here, king 4 on king 10 deuce. But I do have top pair, and I'm getting an incredible price, so I call knowing that the board could brick out, I might win if it checks down, or I could make two pair or trips. The player in what would be the third blind calls as well. So 4,400 in the pot, and we're still five ways, and the turn is an offsuit deuce. So that's sort of a good card, in that my kicker now chops with any kicker below a 10, but it checks to the the under-the-gun player. He bets 1,400. It folds to me, and I think I have to give this guy credit. He's bet small twice now, but the first time was into the entire field, and the second time was into four other players. I also have another player behind me to worry about, So I fold, that player calls. So there's 7,200 in the pot heading to the river, which is a four. It goes check, check, and the aggressor throughout this hand had ace three offsuit with no clubs and the caller had pocket eights. So yeah, no idea what's going on there, but I like the way I played it. And I really wish the four had come on the turn. So the stream's almost over. We play another bomb pot as the last hand of the session. So five hours into the stream, and this time I have 10-4 offsuit in the cutoff. There's 2,400 in the pot heading to the flop, which comes 10-10-3 rainbow. It checks to Andy in early position who bets 400 and it folds to me. So Andy's bet is really small, but I'm not sure there's a case for raising. My kicker is trash with 10-4 offsuit and I'm either way ahead or way behind. So I call and we go heads up to the turn. So there's 3,200 in the pot now, and the turn is a queen creating a backdoor heart draw. So again, I have 10-4 offsuit, and the board is 10-10-3 queen with now two hearts. Andy snap checks, and so I don't see much of a case for betting big here. Um, I'm either way ahead or way behind, my kicker is awful, and I consider checking to perhaps induce a bluff on the river, but again, I have trips, And Trips should want to make the pot bigger. Plus, I can charge a hand like backdoor hearts or backdoor straight draw by putting in a small bet. So I bet 1,200 into 3,200, and Andy quickly folds. turns out he has queen-deuce offsuit and just had an airball on the flop that made top pair on the turn. But he's almost certainly right to fold if I had a hand like a medium pair like eights or jacks. I might play it this way, but those are the only hands he can beat, and most of the time I just have a 10 when I'm continuing on the flop with this many players involved in the hand. So I play for about a half hour after the stream ends and manage to win one more decent-sized pot. So overall, I win about $7,000 for the session. And I think, individually, most of the hands I played are fine. Um, My issue with them is that they all point in the same direction, playing pots that are a little bit smaller than they might be. So I'm playing just a little bit too cautiously. So I'd like to be aware of that. And next time I get to play in a game this big, uh, try to make some plays perhaps that cut in the opposite direction of embracing a little bit of variance and putting more money into pots. So overall, I think I played okay. I think uh, it was my first time playing a game this big and it showed but I'm happy with how things turned out, happy I ran pretty hot in bomb pots, and happy to have won in the biggest game I've played in my life to this point. You might say that some of the pots I played in this session violated the big hand, big pot rule. Like I said a while ago, there are sometimes good reasons to violate that rule, and I think the straight flush hand might be an example of that. If I'd been right in my read that it was unlikely my opponent had the ace high flush, then I really was just targeting weak flushes and needed to bet small even though my hand was extremely strong. Elsewhere though, I consistently played pots that were a little too small. There's a corollary to the big hand big pot rule, which is that if you tip the scales too much at one decision point in the hand, You should consider balancing them at some other point in the hand. If you make a decision that keeps a pot small despite having a strong holding, then all other things being equal, you don't want your later decisions in the hand to also keep the pot small. And if you make a decision that makes a pot big and you have a medium strength holding, you don't want to keep making decisions later in the hand that dramatically inflate the pot. The Ace-6 bomb pot hand from the session I just discussed is a great example. I bet small on the flop with top 2 pair because when I bet the flop in bomb pots I usually bet small. There's a lot of uncertainty, which generally incentivizes a small pot until ranges become better defined on later streets, and small bets force your opponents to fold hands that are weak but that do have equity. Then I check on the turn when the bottom card pairs because I'm not quite sure what's going on. Then when it checks to me on the deuce river I have a strong hand and have kept the pot pretty small, and yet I still bet pretty small again and I'm not sure that's a good play. It's also possible in poker to make entire strings of rational decisions and still be fairly easy to play against. I can't recall who I first heard articulate what I'm about to say, but I'm not the first to say it. If you look at a solver output, it might tell you that on a given turn with a particular holding, let's say pocket nines, you should bet two-thirds pot 40% of the time and 1.25x pot 60% of the time. Well you bet two-thirds of the pot. This is a perfectly theoretically fine play. But if you're never betting 1.25x pot in situations like this one, it becomes easier for your opponents to play against you. There are lots of situations where I'm aware that bigger sizings like this and big bluffs that put opponents in tough spots are theoretically good plays, and yet I don't take those spots. So here's an example of the sort of Hand I've been thinking about a lot lately, courtesy of a friend of mine. We're playing 510. A recreational player raises to 35 from the hijack, and we re-raise to 120 from the cutoff with pocket jacks. Our opponent calls. The flop comes 4-4-3 with two hearts. Our opponent checks, we bet 90 into 250 and get called. The turn is the king of clubs creating a backdoor club draw. So 4-4-3 king with two hearts and two clubs, and again we have pocket jacks. Villain checks, we bet. 350 into 430, and villain calls. The river is the ace of hearts, completing the front door heart draw. So four, four, three, king, ace with three hearts, and we have pocket jacks. Our opponent now leads for 800 into 1130. We have 4,000 behind, and because we three bet preflop, only we can have aces full or kings full here. So considering that our jacks are unlikely to be good, should we just shove and say, screw you, you just have a flush, and we can have much stronger hands. When these sorts of situations happen to me, when opponents bet in spots where they're at a massive disadvantage, opening themselves up to a world of hurt when I have the extremely strong hands they can't have. What's happening in-game for me is that I see the spot. I see the dynamic that's developed and the advantage that I have. But I don't often bluff raise in spots like this because my opponents just aren't folding. They just say oh well i have a flush and they call i see the thing that they probably don't see and then i fold and that's the pattern i feel like i've fallen into betting a lot for value and for small sizings over and over if i actually had kings full or aces full in the hand i mentioned a minute ago i'd raise big but most hands aren't like that usually my hand isn't that strong so i bet small to keep more of their weak hands in there Some poker friends of mine very charitably describe this as the Tim Duncan approach. Simple. No ego. Never overreaching. And here's the thing. This approach works, or at least it's working right now. A huge percentage of my opponents are making the same sorts of mistakes, playing too passively and calling way too much. Persistent and reasonably sized value bets give them license to do what they want to do anyway, which is call. and. I'm on pace to make more money this year than I ever have. But man, this style of poker, combined with the fact that I'm not making spooky reads, is predictable. It's boring. It's limiting. I don't play this way against good players, and in some ways I actually like facing these more observant players sometimes, because I can break out of this Tim Duncan mode against them. I love bluffing players who I know think I'm tight, and there are a few players in LA I've bluffed over and over for months without getting caught. but. Against a lot of people, I'm playing very, very straightforwardly. And part of me wants to find a way to introduce some Jason Williams or some Allen Iverson back into my game. Thanks for listening to Third Man Walking. You can find me on Twitter at ThirdWalking or send me an email at thirdmanwalkingpodcast at gmail.com.